0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Testing was the linchpin of any pandemic response, and we realized that testing had failed catastrophically.
2: Welcome to Episode 9 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails, what led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I'm your host, Debra Chen, and this week, we'll be doing another special COVID-19 episode on the failure of the United States and the coronavirus testing kits. On January 10th, 2020... Chinese scientists posted the genome of an uncanny, strange new virus that was beginning to spread worldwide. This virus, called COVID-19, had origins in Wuhan, China, and was officially dubbed the world's newest coronavirus. The genome, which is a genetic makeup of an organism, consisted of a DNA or RNA in the virus, and included coding regions that allowed for scientists to understand this new disease and potentially find a cure. At that time, the symptoms of this mysterious outbreak were reminiscent to that of the 2003 SARS outbreak, classified by the onset of the first (laughs) cluster of patients with pneumonia-like symptoms due to an unknown cause. But as scientists and health officials were just beginning to sort out the afflictions, And as neighboring countries of China began to report their own cases, the rest of the world was left trying to discern the properties of this contagion, whether this was a spread via human-to-human transmission, and if so, just how transmittable was it? Within a week, the genome being posted on the genetic sequence database, GenBank, virologists from Berlin quickly developed the first diagnostic test to detect the novel coronavirus. This test would essentially serve as the guideline for testing those who were infected with COVID-19 and was then published by the World Health Organization, also known as WHO, to be the standardized method to quickly test people from around the world. By February, the WHO had shipped these tests to almost 60 countries. However, for some reason, the United States was not one of them. Welcome to the story of the United States COVID-19 testing program fatally flopped out of the gate in January of 2020 and leading in the highest rate of infections and deaths even now as we record this podcast. At a press conference on February 29th, 2020, President Donald Trump announced travel restrictions for the first time as an effort to contain the spread of the virus from foreign countries. This travel ban came only four days after President Trump told reporters during a trip to India that this virus was, quote, a problem that was going to go away. But this time the tune would be very different. After the White House Coronavirus Task Force, led by Vice President Mike Pence, Confirmed the country's first case of death from COVID 19. Along with 22 known cases in the United States, President Trump added that he would soon be meeting with the largest pharma companies in the world to discuss a possible vaccine. He did, however, end his press conference with a very optimistic, sunny demeanor, stating
0: But we're doing really well, very, very professionally handled. Our country is prepared for any circumstance. We hope it's not going to be a major circumstance. It'll be a smaller circumstance. But whatever the circumstance is, we're prepared. And I'd like to just ask and caution that the media, we would respectfully ask the media and the politicians and everybody else involved not to do anything to incite panic because there's no reason to panic at all.
2: As the rest of the world continued to document their case numbers with places like South Korea, France, and neighboring countries in Asia like Hong Kong and Singapore, the U.S. seemed almost immune to what was going on in the rest of the world. America's case count was quite low in contrast to the outbreak that was already causing a fervor of anxiety across the globe. With the coronavirus spreading, and as the likelihood of this disease becoming a global pandemic— President Trump, who was concerned about the huge swings of the financial markets, took to Twitter to blame the market volatility as a result of extreme warnings from the CDC for having spooked investors. He tweeted,
0: Fake news, MSNBC, Comcast, and at CNN are doing everything possible to make the coronavirus look as bad as possible, including panicking markets, if possible.
2: But that refusal to acknowledge the deadly virus would soon serve as poison, condemning the deaths and infections in those who trusted the system. You see, by mid-March, the United States, with a population of 331 million, had tested only about 11,000 people for the coronavirus in total To put that in comparable terms, take South Korea with a population of 51 million, much less than the U.S. They were testing about 20,000 people per day. South Korea is a fair measurement since both countries announced their first known cases within hours of each other. A business insider article published in early March released a chart comparison between other countries in a metric broken down into the number of tests performed per million of citizens. With that metric, South Korea was performing 3600 tests per million people. Italy was performing 826. Israel performing 400 tests The U.K. performing 347 tests and the U.S. lagging behind at only five tests per million people. So as one of the most scientifically advanced countries, how did the United States fail to measure up on the testing scale? Because the CDC was not posting their figures, and due to the lack of transparency or a centralized data system, I spoke with Alex Madrigal, a staff writer for The Atlantic and one of the co-founders of the COVID Tracking Project, which to this day is the only accurate, up-to-date tracking source providing the most comprehensive state-level coronavirus data for the United States. It records everything with regards to testing, the positive and negative results, hospitalization, total people tested for each state or district. Surprisingly though, this database, which has sprouted as a grassroots project with over 500 volunteers, continues to still be operating independently by its volunteers and not the CDC.
1: We were hearing out of the administration and kind of the official response, like, oh, we don't have that many cases. We just don't have that many cases. And we realized that no one had really put together a count of, okay, well, sure, we don't have that many cases, but how many people have we tested? And when we really started to zero in on that really particular topic by going state by state, we realized that we just hadn't tested that many people. And so my reporting partner, uh, Robinson Meyer at The Atlantic and I um, were like, well, what if we just literally put all these things in a spreadsheet, Um, what would we see? And that, on the 4th of March, so that was a Wednesday, the Coronavirus Task Force was talking about a million tests. They were just saying, oh, a million tests will be available. Um, And on Friday, they even answered up to four million tests were going to be available. And when we finished our count Friday morning, less than 2,000 Americans had been tested by March 6th. And so that really sent us really deep into this story about testing was the linchpin of any pandemic response at every level of government. And we realized that testing had failed catastrophically in the United States and that we already had a full on national outbreak with, you know, metro hotspots. Um, and we'd only tested 2000 people, which meant that the very first kind of step of like, can you contain this thing outside the borders, which had been the entire premise of the Trump administration's first couple months of of the response had already catastrophically failed, and it was only a matter of time before people figured that out. So, what that meant really was that we 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 were blind going into uh, one of the worst crises the the country has experienced in decades. And what was worse was that people didn't even really seem to know that.
2: In collaboration with his partner, Alexis interviewed dozens of public health officials surveying local data across the country and was able to verify that less than 2,000 people were tested for the coronavirus, not the hundreds of thousands that the White House had promised. So what led to the incompetency of the testing system? And how did hundreds of millions of Americans become part of a Petri dish? As mentioned earlier, the WHO had a working version of the diagnostic test known as the Polymerase Chain Reaction Test, also known as the PCR test, which was made available in mid-January. It was already being used in China. And South Korea's version was also based on this data and close to 160 countries were already using the PCR test. Although neither the CDC nor the Coronavirus Task Force would disclose the reasons for abandoning the WHO's version, what we know is this, the US decided instead to manufacture their own test. And this is how it went down. The federal government began working on a PCR test of its own, but unlike the rest of the world, the CDC decided not to follow the WHO's protocols. No one truly understands why, and because of the lack of transparency, we still don't know the reasoning behind that today. What we do know is that the CDC decided to develop its own tests, which all of the other labs in America would then have to wait for, and then replicate it once it's done. So on February 5th, 2020, the CDC was finally ready and announced that it would begin shipping these tests across the country. At the same time, the WHO had already announced that it had shipped 250,000 tests worldwide. But back on U.S. soil, the CDC sent out these tests while the rest of the nation's lab waited in anticipation. However, only days afterwards, reports came back that the test kits were actually defective. It turned out that there was a problem with one of the ingredients in the U.S. tests that caused more than half of the state labs to receive inconclusive results. But it would be almost a week later that this was officially announced, and then by that time, the agency had to make a decision to replace the ingredient and remanufacture a completely new test. This, of course, would require more time. So while the US fumbled through the faulty test, the death toll continued to tick higher and higher. At a briefing, Dr. Nancy Messonnier, the director of the National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Disease, said, quote, we hope that everything would go smoothly as we rush through this, end quote. But in the meantime, she said until new reagents could be manufactured, all COVID-19 testing in the U.S. would continue exclusively at the CDC. The CDC then promised to quickly come up with a new test, But that one day stretched into almost three weeks until finally in late February, the FDA decided to loosen up its restrictions on clinical labs and allow other medical labs around the country to come up with their own COVID-19 testing kits. But by then, the virus had already spread like wildfire.
1: The rest of the U.S. was like, oh, well, you know, the CDC, this is what they do. The Centers for Disease Control, they create tests for infectious diseases, and they've done this in the past. They did it with Ebola, they did it with Zika. The CDC, and I think it speaks to where the U.S. sort of technocracy has been in the past, the CDC is considered really a lead agency uh, globally, at least we were until this outbreak. And so they went and they created this test, and at the same time that they created the test Um, Some special rules went into place at the FDA that actually prevented other places from coming up with their own tests, including all these sort of university laboratories that could in fact have created their own tests. What that did basically was centralize the entire American testing effort on this one set of chemicals and swabs that were going to be produced by the CDC and sent out to public health laboratories. Unfortunately, almost immediately after those kits started to go out, these labs realized that, as one testing director put it to me, one of the three chemicals that were used to run this test was dog So that then created this period of, like, massive uncertainty where no one else could develop another test. But one of the chemicals was bad within this CDC recipe. And then the CDC wasn't really sure what was going on. So, for several weeks, nothing happened. And, you know, we've had reporting from a guy named Alex Greninger, who was at the University of Washington's virology lab, in which, you know, sort of angrily emailed other laboratory directors saying, like, what the hell are we doing here? (laughs) Like, we we are not preparing for this thing, and we cannot prepare because there's sort of this incompressible couple weeks that you need to get a test up and running in one of these laboratories because it's a very, it's like a bench science, you know. So the U.S. sat there basically uh, until February 29th when the rules changed and the FDA said, oh, actually other people can make this test. And then the CDC um, said, actually, this test still works if you just use the other two chemicals. So what ended up really happening was that uh, the CDC's test, which actually turned out to be pretty good just with the two chemicals, they literally just were like, "Okay, now we can start testing with it. Just don't use the third one, which means if that was the ultimate solution, that solution was literally available at the very beginning. And we could have been testing for all of February.
2: It was truly a modern day comedy of errors. This was an example of the testing bureaucracy that infiltrated the country's ability to proactively respond to a crisis. According to a New York Times article, there was an infectious disease expert from Seattle, Dr. Helen Chu, who had been conducting a research project into the flu that involved obtaining nasal swabs from those diagnosed with the flu. On the onset of this pandemic, Dr. Chu and her team decided to repurpose those samples for the coronavirus testing, even while they waited for weeks for government officials to grant her permission to test. They never did. She decided to conduct the test anyway, and was shocked to have found positive cases stemming back from the flu season, meaning COVID-19 was already percolating on U.S. soil for at least six weeks. Dr. Chu was only one of many who was met with rejections and silence from officials at every turn in finding ways to detect and test for the virus as days crept into weeks and the outbreak continued to grow. For the entire month of February, while the rest of the world continued their testing, the United States was only able to obtain their tests, which were riddled with faulty agents from the CDC— In February, the U.S. conducted just 472 tests. South Korea had done 70,000. The FDA's insistence on making the CDC the single source of creating coronavirus testing kits instead of allowing scientists from the entire nation, from research labs, universities to help, ultimately led to the U.S.'s inability to diagnose to contain the spread and prevent the deaths and disruption of society that we're seeing now. Why weren't we prepared? On paper, the US is capable of handling this, but the CDC's faulty tests, the FDA's reluctance to enable other medical labs to contribute to the solution, manufacturing problems, government red tape, and the president downplaying it were all factors that contributed to the crisis. But the failure to provide adequate tests, most experts say, was the single most vital part of the equation that would have helped contain the virus and prevented the spread in such great proportions. The government's towering failure to get this right will go down in history as one of the biggest contributors to the COVID-19 spread. Some would argue that no country could ever really be prepared for a health crisis of this magnitude. But the facts are that many other countries around the world have proven to be more effective in responding to this than the United States.
1: have responded to this. And to just keep in mind that the American response is like very close to the bottom of the list. And it didn't take heavy-handed repression. It just took a kind of institutional constraint and a sort of incompetence that combined to create the situation we have now, which is the U.S. has more cases than anywhere and almost certainly will. The Taiwanese were running like temperature checks and stuff on December 31st for people coming out of China. December 31st. So you have this like incredible situation where if you can do some containment, you actually don't need that many tests. So in some ways, the countries that have done the best are the ones who've done relatively few tests because they've been able to actually do the containment. Right? Um, then there's the countries like South Korea, who or Germany, who spun up a huge testing capacity early after they realized that they had an outbreak on their hands. And those countries also, to me, get a pretty pretty high grades for the response, though they're probably not as high as I would give to like Hong Kong or, or Taiwan or Vietnam. Vietnam. But they still have to get pretty high marks because they were able to get containment on this thing much faster. To me, it's basically a tragedy. Like you have this situation where we had all of the scientific knowledge, because we could have always just used the World Health Organization tests. We had actually the literal materials because we had those from what the CDC had produced. And we instead just kind of froze in the face of some unforeseen difficulties. And why that's so important, and I think it's really, I mean, if I think about this as like a quote unquote business story, though, it's not quite that. But if I think about it like that, it's really like, what is the unknown variable upstream of all the things you're doing that were it to break or were it to not function properly would in fact cascade down your entire organization and screw everything up? Because testing was that for pandemic response.
2: The consequences of the U.S. testing flop can't be overlooked. Tens of thousands dead, nearly a million sick, and tens of millions struggling with unemployment. The staggering loss of jobs that has brought families to line up at food banks waiting for government assistance. But no amount of rhetoric, distractions, or misguidance can disguise the fact that the United States now has more confirmed coronavirus deaths than any other country in the world. Medical experts have said that 90% of the coronavirus deaths could have been avoided had there been more preemptive measures taken from the onset of this health crisis. At an April 22, 2020 coronavirus press conference, President Trump spoke about all the tremendous things happening, he said.
0: These trends demonstrate that our aggressive strategy to battle the virus is working and that more states will soon be in a position to gradually and safely reopen. It's very exciting. It was very exciting even today, watching and seeing what's happening and people are getting ready and they're all excited.
2: What he failed to reference was that on that day alone, thousands of Americans continue to die from the virus. This is the leader at our helm that we rely on for safety, for protection and the truth which leaves many wondering if we ever stood a chance. Special thanks to Alice Madrigal from The Atlantic for his contributions and to him and the hundreds of volunteers at the COVID Tracking Project. We appreciate what you're doing. And Thank you for tuning in on this week's The Great Fail, a program that spotlights some of the most infamous case studies of failed businesses, brands, and ideas, and goes beyond that to garner lessons of wisdom so that we can all learn from the greatest mistakes. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of these episodes would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Connect with us at The Great Fail Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please subscribe, rate, and review so that we can continue bringing you more episodes. And remember, with great failure comes great liability.